Hello and welcome to Open Sources Guelph. You're on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I am Adam A. Donaldson of Guelph Politico and joining me is... Scotty Hertz. Uh, Adam, I'm, I'm a little bit disappointed but not surprised that one of our topics is uh, definitely not Tucker mm-hmm. Carlson's uh, very interesting irradiation techniques that have been blowing mm-hmm. up social media this week. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if there's one thing Tucker... Carlson is well known for is uh, homoerotic content, which is how many people took that advertising. Um, <laughs> yeah, judging by the poster, it was like, yeah. I mean, just like the luscious photography of that man standing naked on a mountaintop getting his is it his testicles tanned? Is that how that works? Yeah, it just is like a giant USB stick that puts out radiation. And, yeah, Sounds like it'll work. Of course it'll yeah, work. It's, I like the ivermectin of uh, fertility or something. The, the science behind it is 100% sound, and mm. I, I say that as a not-scientist, and so does Tucker Carlson. <laughs> <laughs> no, we Sally, almost made it a topic. <laughs> <laughs> we almost made it a topic, but sadly it's not an official topic. Okay. Open Source is a CFRU's political and current affairs discussion show, and you can find us here every Thursday at 5 p.m. as we talk about the latest news items from Guelph, Ontario, Canada, and around the world. And we sometimes interview local newsmakers and politicians. This week, though, it's just going to be a news show, including uh, the first topic, the or the second topic, I should say, the Nova Scotia Mass Casualty Event Commission. It has been now a little over two years since the event being investigated. So are we any closer to getting any kind of real answers? And then we will talk about Elon Musk's efforts to buy Twitter. The board has issued a poison pill effort to stop that from happening. And we will talk about why any of this matters. And finally, we will talk about the recent 40th anniversary of the signing of the Charter of Rights and Freedoms and how it really is the perfect time about how it doesn't mean what people think it means in true Princess Bride fashion. <laughs> but first, <laughs> uh, speaking of anniversaries, this Sunday will mark the two-month anniversary. It's not though that two months isn't technically an anniversary, but uh, two months since the start of Russia's war against Ukraine. Uh, well, this time last week, uh, Ukraine sunk a, a ship. Uh, they sunk the Russian flagship in the Black Sea, the Moskva which is uh, Russian for Moscow. So, you know, literally putting literally the the name brand ship. Um, This has forced uh, Russia to come out uh, pretty savagely in the Donbass area where they are now uh, redoubling their efforts to take that eastern region of the country to build their land bridge from Crimea uh, to Ukraine. And... uh, yeah, it's it's not much has changed in in Ukraine in terms of the situation. There are, however, uh, a lot of stuff. There's a lot of stuff happening in Russia. Uh, we have for the first time uh, one of the uh, local oligarchs, Oleg uh, Tinkov, uh, has has come out and said uh, that ninety percent of his countrymen um, are unaware of just what is going on in. Ukraine, uh, Bloomberg reported that there are rumblings in the Kremlin of uh, people who are senior advisors in the government, as well as some of the richest people in Russia who are uh, obviously kept close to Vladimir Putin. They are um, uh, they are apparently expressing their gruntlement at how things are going 
in Ukraine. So, um, yeah, one another. It's 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 another. Let's let's just say it's another week in this war. <laughs> yeah, and almost it does. Well, not it doesn't feel like it's gone on forever, but it seems like it's been always with us at this point. Mm-hmm. The uh, yeah, and you have to wonder who is going to get the polonium tea first uh, of all <laughs> the people that you're <clears throat> mentioning there. The uh, Tinkoff's rant was something else. He was like calling it a massacre. Uh, mm-hmm crazy war and he used some other language we can't actually use on the air uh now he's he's i never thought i would say this we're going to talk about another billionaire in a bit but a minor billionaire at only like four billion or something but still only i mean yeah yeah, exactly he's still in the fold right so for him to break like this is fairly significant and it's just you know you wonder you know this is beyond the, the reporter that that crashed on the air um it's getting up to the higher levels now. And the, yeah, I did, I saw that Bloomberg headline didn't actually read it, but yeah, the, the off, not off the record, but I uh, know, please don't use my name, but this is out of yeah. control. It seemed to be the tone, right? So. Yeah, it's, you know, and it's not just that sort of kind of base level criticism either. You have the mayor of Moscow coming out and saying, um, there are about 200,000 jobs at stake uh, from, you know, companies pulling out of, of doing business in Russia. They have 16% in inflation in Russia now. You know, it's, um, you know, when you consider that here in Canada, inflation is at six, six and a half percent. So more than double, almost triple the inflation. So if you think it's bad here, you know, imagine trying to buy the essentials in Russia right now. And, uh, you know, uh, furthermore, there are, um, to, to address the, the sinking of the Muskva, there's kind of no firm, I mean, a lot of it is, a lot of what happened is built on hearsay, both from the Russians and from uh, the Ukrainians as well. Uh, it is presumed that the Muskva was sank using these Neptune missiles that the Ukrainians have. Russia has uh, refused to admit that it was sunk. Um, although they do admit it did sink, uh, tales of an accident, um, but also tales of how all hands on board were saved. And that also does not seem to be the case that the ship went down with some people on board. Um, and there are also tales of, out of Russia, like they're having funerals for like the, the flag officers who die in Ukraine. Like, so the captains and colonels and generals and things, but, um, not so much for like the, Right. Let's say rank and file. Um, And then you have some Ukrainians and I'm not sure how to feel about this because it seems kind of skeezy, but I understand why they're doing it. They they have um, Ukrainians sort of like doing this forensic work of of identifying soldiers. They they're using this uh, software called Clearview AI, which is like a facial recognition software. Um, used by police forces around the world, including the Guelph police, I should add. Mm-hmm. And uh they're 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 identifying soldiers, finding out who they are, and then like sending pictures to their family, like with a note saying, like, "Hey, by the way, your son and/or daughter just died trying to invade our country." Um, and I mean, all of this is part of a propaganda campaign too. It's like trying to get the word out, like, "Hey, this is your your, your son and/or daughter is not on some training exercise; they are invading this country." And uh, yeah, it, it just you know it makes you wonder how long can they keep up the facade that um, everything's going according to plan? And I wonder, you know, we talked last week about 
Putin trying to get to May 9th to declare some kind of victory. But then what happens after May 9th? Because that's two, three weeks away. Um, does, you know, does does this, you know, I, I guess war of information get worse for him after May 9th when they're still fight? I mean, it, it, it's possible they could still be fighting over Dunbass on May 9th. Um, They've been fighting over Dunbass for eight years. <laughs> Who's to say yeah. it's going to be resolved in the next couple of weeks? Oh, but remember, though, for those eight years, the uh, Russian uh, military wasn't involved at all, right? It's mm-hmm. just, oh, it's not us. Oh, it's not us at all. Oh, we're right. not going to invade. And then they did. Um, I think the May 9th victory, by the sounds of it, is going to be the um, getting the last of the Azov battalion out of the steel plant, mm-hmm. which it sounds like it's classic war they're surrounded there's nowhere to go but in addition to that there are a bunch of civilians that are holed up in this uh in uh mariupol right this the steel plant it's literally the last stand the last stand yeah uh so as to whether how that that can only end badly because Mm -hmm. they the russians had already said we need you to surrender. And they're like, there's, there's no way we're going to surrender. And they probably all sides know this too. It's like, we're going to fight to the last person. Mm -hmm. Um, So as to whether, you know, concurrent with this test of this, I guess it was an intercontinental ballistic missile, but yeah, I think they were trying to send the messages like, look, we're just going to decimate you. So please surrender. And of course, and that would be a victory too, right? That the propaganda victory of them coming out with their hands up, not Mm -hmm. as much the, uh, the uh, civilians that are there, um, but and there can only be more mass casualties in this situation. And this is playing out. We're recording Wednesday night. This is playing out right now. Mm-hmm. It's entirely possible that the the, the battle of Mariupol um, is over uh, at this point. The Azovstal, I don't know, Azov must represent the area. It's not only the troops that are there, but I'm, I'm not even sure what that means. But the Az the Azovstal. Which I think stall means steel. Um, so yeah, the, is mm-hmm. is that going to be the we got the Nazis uh, thing? Uh, maybe, but it definitely it definitely isn't going to be over because the focus is the east now. It is all concentrated on the east, with mm-hmm. some exceptions because the rush the uh, Russian military bombed Lviv, mm-hmm. and people in those areas to the west were probably thinking they were okay. There was re- refugees returning because mm-hmm. um, things had calmed down in certain places. But yet there's still these, you know, they send these reminders to create panic that like, oh, no, no, we're not done with you yet. It just, it's, I don't, the casualties in that bar, I don't think were as high, mm-hmm. um, but that that's irrelevant, right? It's still like, you're saying you're pulling out and then, but you're just going to launch some, some things at them anyway. It's like, it's, it's just, it's really, really dirty. I mean, it, it's it's definitely a weak. I mean, if that's the intent, and you know, you're trying to make silk out of a sow's ear. That's what this is. Like you bombed one port city, essentially wiping it off the face of the earth, and you know, you're you're still trying to get at this one bit of resistance in one factory. Um, and and, my, and there's still going to be like resistance outside of these areas too. But to say like. I, I, I still think there's going to be a lot of difficulty in for Putin. And I'm not saying he can't sell it, but I'm saying it's going to be a difficult sale. It's like, yeah, we did it. We prosecuted this war for 
two and a half months and we finally got this one port city <laughs> and we got the people there we got all we 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 got all the nazis into one factory we bombarded them until they came out with their hands raised or until you know the damn thing was leveled to the ground or whatever they've got going on mm-hmm. it just it's it's it seemed i mean that seems like <laughs> it just seems like such a such a small victory for such a for something that started out as like this big you know ideologically based struggle and also like considering how much you know they had to basically concentrate all their efforts there they they were they had the capital surrounded couldn't seal the deal they were trying to um you know take portions of the northern country they they took chernobyl they took you know a power plant and you know just they they can't uh, they couldn't hold on to it. It just seems like it just seems like such a small victory. And I think people are still going to ask themselves, like, really, we're like, I can't buy a loaf of bread, or I, you know, I used to be able to buy three loaves of bread. Now I can't even buy one loaf of bread. And uh, this is what we got is like a destroyed city on the port on the Black Sea. Okay, Putin. <laughs> yeah, and and the the Rust Belt of the Ukraine, right? Like, it's not that's. Mm. I did hear, I think it was erroneous, there was a reference that they, they love to talk about the Ukraine. And it's sort of true being the breadbasket. It's the classic, the cliche, the breadbasket of, of Europe. Mm-hmm. But uh, the Donbass is not that. The mm-hmm. Donbass is an industrial area. It's coal and steel, right? That's, mm-hmm. That is what they're fighting over. But also, as you said, that line going stretching from Russia to Crimea, then you have control of the Black Sea. There are probably uh, other things there that we don't even know about yet that thereafter I'm going to guess speculate on resources, maybe oil. I feel mm-hmm. I've said this before at some point because we, okay, we talk about this every week. But um, yeah, so that's, is it going to be the great victory? It's unlikely. But going back to what you said, like Clearview AI, I just want to comment on this because that is, is the creepiest stuff. Mm-hmm. You would hope, you would hope. Mm-hmm. The Ukrainians are doing it for the right reasons, even though they're using some tech that is quite sketch, mm-hmm. sketchy yet amazing at the same time. Mm-hmm. Because it sounds like in lots of places that the Russian troops were just leaving people behind. Oh yeah, right in yeah. various states of whatever. It's like just well, we'll just we can't we can't, we can't do this. We don't have the resources. We don't have the whatever. So you don't have the resources. Like. Mm-hmm. Um, but it is, it is shaped up to be like they really seem unprepared for this whole thing from day one, virtually, right? It's like they mm-hmm. un- mis- they underestimated, also misunderstood, they underestimated the Ukrainians. And, uh, you know, having to consolidate to the east, southeast to try and take this, uh, whatever victory you want to call it, uh, if there will be. And that's the thing. Okay, May 9th comes and goes, like you said. And that's mm-hmm. so, so what? So what next? You're just going to stay there. You're going to like rebuild the steel plant. You're going to yeah. like, there are a lot of, I feel I talked about this last week too, the uh, Russian speakers among others, like this, this is who's supposedly getting liberated. They're like, we're out of here. Mm-hmm. We're leaving. Mm-hmm. I saw a couple of, uh, you know, bits from uh, Russian speaker. I guess they're ethnic Russians. There's Russian speakers from the Donbass who left. And they're like, look, we, this is, you know, we might speak Russian, but we're Ukrainians and we are, you know, out of here. Mm. so what is this great liberation is it you know like are you still living like it's 1945 or 1845 i don't know like that's <clears throat> and you also have to wonder too with the rumbling from the oligarch and oligarchs and the, the you know 
like the Bloomberg report spoke to are the, is there going to be an attempt to take Putin out? I'm sure maybe there has been, there's been several attempts on Zelensky. It wouldn't be surprising at all unless no one can get close enough to him. Speaking of tragedies closer to home, uh, we haven't, we have talked before about this inquiry of the Nova Scotia mass casualty event, which is the mass shooting that happened on uh, April 18th and 19th in 2020 as you know, if you watch the calendar go by, you know, we just had the second anniversary of that event. Uh, the commission is not meeting this week, probably for the best, because there are more and more uh, criticisms and questions and doubts about whether or not the commission is working the way it should and whether or not uh, the families are going to get the answers they want. Yeah, it sounds like the criticism coming from a lot of sides, as you said, the families, some of the lawyers as well, and other groups that are involved. And you can kind of see where it's coming from, though, because the the, the approach that they, they're having is that they're releasing these, what they're calling foundational documents, which is like somebody is just, it's kind of like your testimony is, all testimony has been gathered on paper, and then they've come up with these these other papers that sort of speak to what has been presented. Mm-hmm. And the criticism is that if you don't hear from everybody that's involved, you you won't get the complete picture. But also in that classic uh, test testimony setup where people come and testify, right, and swear mm-hmm. in and whatnot, um, something is missed. Be- and it was pointed out that some of the more uh, um, telling things, I guess, that, that have come up was the, when the one example was when the, the firefighters, there's only been eight, what, eight witnesses so mm-hmm. far, like not very many people have testified, mm-hmm. but the firefighters that got shot at when the RCMP thought that one of the firefighters in the hall was um, the person that they were looking for. Mm-hmm. And then it's, I, I guess a lot came out of that in terms of people didn't new information came out. There was a lot of, Oh, I didn't know that. I didn't know that either. So if, unless you do the breakdown as thorough as that, there are part, there's definitely components that are going to be missing now that this was a, I mean, a significant event in itself, but also small in the scheme of everything that happened. And yet if there's details coming out within that, then, you know, what were the other details like, um, how come they didn't put out a, an alert, which is a massive one mm-hmm. that has, they haven't spoken to that yet. It's like, why, why haven't they, uh, why was the, you know, they use the Amber alert system for grandma kept the kids too long. Something mm-hmm. like this is going on. How mm-hmm. can they not send out an active shooter alert? And another one too, is and I found this interesting is that they can't geolocate police. Mm. via GPS. And they mm. said there was some that was like, oh, we were, we were looking at ways to integrate it. I'm geolocated at work. <laughs> I'm geolocated. Tons of people in this country and all sorts of places are geolocated via their phone. They know exactly where you are. Mm-hmm. I was that's I was flabbergasted with that. I'm like, what, you? they don't know? There's literally an app for that. Is it a rights thing? Because you know the police want to know where people are and maybe if something like that well, not heading to Clearview AI territory, but mm. that is so that is a case where that might have actually helped instead of somebody going around posing as a cop. And I don't know if this is no one's really spoken to it yet, but I think there's this implication that's like, mm, is it because he was posing as a cop, mm. as an RCMP officer, right? What you know, and again, th- that's just me speculating. 
And I think what they what they need to do from this is to stop people like me and others. Um, that's not a, a, an unreasonable speculation, but when you don't have all the facts, that's what happened. You fill in the gaps like, well, is it because of this? And then we're like, well, we don't know. So, well, I mean, there's also still that conspiracy theory going around that he was uh, an RCMP informant and mm-hmm. uh, that there was a withdrawal from the from the RCMP account that pays off like informers. And he had, you know, th- he had access to thousands of dollars before this and it helped contribute to this his delusion or whatever it was that had him like have a replica cop car and replica police badges and things. Yeah. The, the, the most important question is um, why there was no sort of like provincial alert. They use Twitter, but I mean, some of the tweets they sent out were pretty benign. Like, Ooh, there's an investigation of a firearms complaint, you know, just keep stay inside and lock your doors. Like, and, and, and that makes it sound like, like the other day here where there was uh, a police lockdown of uh, GCVI because mm-hmm. somebody somebody was seen in the area with a gun. Um, you know, so it makes it sound very procedural. It doesn't make it sound like that because that tweet was sent at like 1130. So at that point, at least a dozen people were dead or shot at, yep. um, which is not sort of regular like that's not a regular day as a police officer dealing with like a, a, a dozen people shot um and so at that point there had to have been like someone somewhere and this is what we we kind of need the tiktok of what the rcmp were thinking mm-hmm. like the, the people in command not like the people on the ground who were driving around in the dark trying to find wartman but like the people like making the decisions at headquarters and like why didn't they send out a mass alert? What was their thinking for not sending out a mass alert? Or like, what were the pros and cons? What were the cons against sending a mass alert? And what were the pros? Um, why go with Twitter? I mean, Twitter is fine. I use Twitter. You use Twitter. Um, but I mean, it is by no means like the most ubiquitous of social media alert systems. And certainly um, not one, the map, the like, it's, it's not the one everybody's on. Um, so, like, why use that? Um, when you have this system where you can just send alerts to everybody's phones, everybody's TVs, and say, this is what's going on. And was it because he was dressed up as a... I mean, and that could be, a, a, like, there could be... I, I get, I'm not a law enforcement expert, but there could be a reasonable, rationable... Rationable? rational reason why you would not want to tell people that there's a maniac dressed up as a cop running around but those are the kind of questions we are those are the kind of answers that we need from this inquiry we don't need the blow by blow of officer so and so on the scene and this is what they saw um although i mean that's not unimportant either but it's it's what was going on in the minds of people making decisions that night is what we need. And it, I, I think we're, I think there's concern that just what has been presented so far, doesn't exactly instill a lot of confidence that those are, those are not going to be, those questions are not going to be aired out in a public way, if at all. No. And the, I guess this, and the interim report is dropping on uh, May the 1st. And mm-hmm. if sp- the commission specifically said, they're not going to include any recommendations mm-hmm. yet. So mm-hmm. I think this is just the, it's the, what we know so far, but of course that doesn't remove it from the, the critique and the criticisms that, well, we don't know everything so far. Even you could almost say like, well, why are they putting this report out? 
mm-hmm. seeing that it's still incomplete. It's just like, well, how far along are we in the past? It's over what two months, I guess, so far that it's taken mm-hmm. them. Mm-hmm. So yeah, and they the commission did say that their their intention, and this could be problematic, is it was never to reveal um, every single detail mm-hmm. because they're saying that's not possible. But what like well, what about the what about the critical details? I understand why they don't want to to focus on the let's call them the gory details for lack of a better word. I think mm-hmm. they've said that they want this to be trauma informed. So rather than you know present it like the average Ukraine newscast these days uh, mm. say, look, we don't, we don't want to upset the victims families and anybody that's, that's involved with this. Having said that though, there is a way to do that and to get information without necessarily having to reveal that. I mean, could you not go, there must be some mechanism, the equivalent of in camera. It's like, well, we've reviewed yeah, things right. and then we will, we will reveal what needs to be revealed, you know, stripping out the gory details. Because they ha- they need to know, like you said, there was like twelve people had died. They must have had an idea at some point before the other twelve people died, who the hell this Vortman was. Mm-hmm. Like a, a name at least, or who and and his the, the other person that I don't think is going to testify is his partner or wife. I'm not sure if they were married, but the partner that's in uh, a separate case for buying him. The gun ammunition that he presumably used in this right so you're not going to speak to her she would be the first person i would go to because um she also wasn't killed which Mm. is really weird because normally i'm not saying anybody should have been killed obviously but normally in a situation like this it's the spouse is probably the first to go right Mm -hmm. or immediate family members Mm -hmm. so there's this whole other level of confusion to this on top of it being 22 people which is like and i think that may be some of it too is like this this the disbelief that how can this happen in our sleepy little area we are and that's why they weren't prepared in my opinion i mean i i understand the idea of like wanting to do this in in a way that mitigates the amount of trauma just unfortunately like if there's a venue where you want to you know, dive into the traumatic, the traumatic elements in order to fully understand the situation. This is probably the venue. You can worry when you're, when you're presenting findings about doing so in in like a trauma neutral way, but uh, you know, just like as, as we're trying to get to the bottom of these things, maybe (laughs) I was going to say, maybe not worry about being so sensitive. And I think some of the families are saying that too. It's like, you know, maybe this isn't the time for sensitivity because we, we want to know what's what happened and why this happened. Um, we can sort of tiptoe around the the gory details later. Anyway, uh, we're going to take a needed break from some of this heavy stuff. And we're going to come back with uh, something a little lighter from the world of business and people who want to go to space. Anyway, <laughs> you're listening to Open Sources here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio.
comes our Royal Cat Records pick of the week. Royal Cat Records, 21 MacDonnell in beautiful, sunny downtown Guelph. <laughs> and that was, I'd said this to Adam at one time, when all else fails, play The Clash. Uh, that was The Clash. And the song is Know Your Rights, which speaks to topic four. But mm-hmm. so you have to stick around now and be like, what's he talking about? In the meantime, <laughs> topic three. <laughs> Well, I mean, we, we in, in case you missed it, we do introduce the topics at the beginning of the show. Um, yes. So for you halftime people, here is the rest of the show. For, for those of you who come in at halftime um, and uh, usually to hear the interview, we're sorry we don't have one today. Um, <clears throat> so uh, you may be on Twitter. Uh, if there's one person who's definitely on Twitter, it's Elon Musk. He bought a 9% stake in Twitter. He bought 9% of the shares. Uh, They offered him a board seat. He declined the board seat after some controversy um, because Elon Musk is, uh, well, one of these people who my father would say opens his his mouth and lets his belly rumble um, (laughs) when he's on Twitter. Um, Anyway, he's trying to buy the platform outright. His intention is to buy it, make it private, turn it into a free speech nirvana which is fascinating because uh, Elon Musk does not practice what he preaches in regards to, to free speech, but we'll, we will get to that. In the meantime, uh, it, it's, it's interesting because I, I, I don't have a head for business, um, may, maybe obvious, but I was, just listen, I was listening to people who are sort of um, got their heads on about business and you know they're talking about he he could buy Twitter. Um, about one third of the senior management would probably bail in the first ninety days. Um, there's some question about whether or not he would have the capital to run Twitter after, because he's essentially like throwing money at shareholders. Um, he's offering to buy shares for you know millions more than what they're worth. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on top of it all. You know, this is not Elon Musk's first like fling with like buying a, enough shares to privatize a company. Like he's he's currently in Dutch with the Securities and Exchanges Commission for posting on Twitter in 2018 that he was going to buy enough shares uh, back of his company Tesla to make it private, and then that like goose the <laughs> the stock price, causing investors to lose millions of dollars. So, uh. You know, Elon Musk may be your favorite free speech warrior, but he's starting to sound like a really terrible businessman. Well, it, it does. It sounds like he's just messing with people, right? Like yeah. He said, yeah. Direct quote. He said he doesn't care about the economics of it all. So there, that's him. Obviously. Saying, like, obviously. Yeah, so it's just like I have 40. What is it? 43 billion in fun money. And I want to take mm. this thing and transform it. Right. Mm. Which is. To what, like some kind of libertarian playground? I, I guess that's easier than doing it as a scratch job, like Trump with what Truth Social, whatever it was, which yep. is like a dismal failure by the sounds of it. Yes. I'm just gonna buy my ready-made platform. You know, this this is this is effectively the yacht boast of the 21st century, right? It's the whole <laughs> look at my yacht, look at this thing that I have. And when you think about it, I was thinking about this today, is because one of our topics of like, you know, that the the event happens like in several movies where the internet is just gone, right? Mm-hmm. Literally worth nothing, right? It's <laughs> like, what is what is tangible here? 
there's it's it's information which is value super valuable obviously that he wants it mm-hmm. but is this is it just some kind of like crazy gambit they're like oh I, I you know they've pissed me off enough that i want to control this he makes policy decisions on twitter polls who does mm-hmm. that you know people just mm-hmm. do that for fun things like which cat is funnier but he's he's making like business decisions <laughs> with like t- with twitter polls and i think he has like what 82 million or something followers mm-hmm. give or take a few mm-hmm. um but yeah does it like he he seems to put a lot of stock in what his Twitter followers think of him. I don't know. This is like ego boost stuff, but um, hmm. at the same time, do enough people on the planet really care what Elon Musk thinks? And do we need this whole, uh, this giant, this, the data behemoth to be controlled by one person. Cause as he's saying, well, I wanted to be about free speech, but then it's like, it's controlled by one person. He says he's going to fire the board or like, I'm just going to pay them zero. That'll say, what did he say? It'll save $3 million. Mm. You know what $3 million is to a guy like Musk. That's nothing. Mm-hmm. That's like the change under the cushions, which doesn't mm-hmm. even really exist anymore. The well, Doge coins in your, whatever your non-fungible token cupboard. I don't know. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that's <laughs> what's old man hurts talking about. <laughs> he just knows he hates billionaires. I mean, <laughs> I mean, if you if if you ever thought that economics was just like completely like made out uh, like out of like rich people's like asses, like just talk, start talking about fungible tokens. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I still don't get it. <laughs> no, ne- neither do I. But I mean, this this I do understand. Um it, it does seem like, you know, he's he's trolling them. He's ticked off that they didn't like bow before his greatness. And I mean, there are a lot. This seems to be a trend with a lot of people that they find an audience of like devotees and it just plays into all of their worst. Thing. I mean, uh, what's his face? Julian Assange is back in the news this week mm-hmm. um, because uh, it looks like he's going to be deported to the U.S. Um and this is somebody else who like comes on the scene with WikiLeaks and like is in- instantly like this influential figure, and a lot of people look at him and admire him. And um, you know, then you know we start getting reports of you know maybe he allegedly assaulted this woman, and then uh, you know he's laundering disinformation and misinformation and hacking for the Russians, and it's like. There, there is still an audience. He still has an audience. People are like, who are his fans? People who push for it. And it's the same for Elon Musk. Elon Musk has the dander of all these people up who are like free speech warriors. Like, yes, we, we don't need Twitter to, to step on our free speech rights. It's like, well, first of all, you don't know what sp- free speech is. And we'll get to that in a second. <laughs> second of all, um, you know, let's look at Elon Musk's free speech record. There was a guy named um, John Bernard who was fired from Tesla because he, he did a YouTube about um, some of the, the, the safety concerns he had about uh, one of the cars. There was an anonymous blogger who was um, posting negative um, analysis of, of like Tesla's uh, stock prices. Elon Musk goes to the trouble of finding out who this person is, who this anonymous blogger is, mm-hmm. and goes to their company and says, you need to shut this guy up. 
or fire him. And apparently the company was like, oh my God, you got to do what Elon Musk says. You got to shut up and not to blog anymore. And then there was somebody else who, um, a journalist who was covering the launch of the Model X. Um, and they said the launch wasn't great. The event itself, he didn't say that the Model X was bad because he mm. had ordered one. He said the launch was badly handled. So it was even like just like a mild rebuke rebuke and and musk comes in and says you know what you're not not only are you not getting your model x you're not getting any updates for your current tesla you're not getting anything it's just like how thin-skinned do you have to be but of course this is you know this is the way of the world now where you have these incredibly you know we were talking about tucker carlson but he's another one it's like who, mm. who thinks he's like this paragon of machismo and uh you know, it's, it's the same with Musk. It's the same with Trump. But they are the thinnest skinned people around, despite the fact they have set themselves up as like, only I can say what everybody thinks, which I mean, that that, that actually might have been a terrible Musk impression. But I really do think he sounds well, like- <laughs> well and, and of course, everybody you've mentioned, with the, maybe the exception of the Sage comes with money or comes from. Right. Money. Yep. Like, yeah. From Tucker Carlson. Yep. Uh, on up, right? Yeah. What is it? Fish sticks or something? These millions. These are worth millions. The others are worth billions. TV dinners. What's that? Uh, uh, t- uh, Tucker's family is the Swanson TV dinner. Oh, function. okay, right. And that's yeah. I knew he was rich. So He's I don't rich. know how rich. He's rich. Just, He's I mean, that's the problem with it. With with this much cash mm-hmm. and the power that comes with it, whether the power is real or perceived. Mm-hmm. Um, because you know. Th- those examples that you used and stuff we we're talking about, it's like, okay, if you're, you're really, and Trump does it too. So, well, you know, my free, my, my rights are being infringed upon, but yet you're going to crack down people. Yeah. Like try saying the word union <laughs> in a Tesla plant and see how long you last. The robots will come and throw you out the window. Right. That's what's going to happen. Try that on Twitter. Try being critical of Musk on Twitter, right. When he owns it, if, and when he owns it. And it sounds like if, uh, I did see there was another bid. I don't know how, if they're just doing this to get in the news, some sort of private equity fund. Mm-hmm. Thomas, no, Tama Bravo mm-hmm. are expressing an interest. And I don't know. I don't know if they're doing the same thing that uh, I almost said Trump. I was do the same thing that Musk does. It just sort of stir it up a bit and be like, yo, who is this Tama Bravo? Nobody's heard of them, even though they're worth a hundred billion dollars. It turns out well, that most of Twitter is owned by like, hedge funds and private equity firms yeah it's it's, so it's and and i think that's the real danger is that you know these funds just like money so it doesn't matter that you know musk is going to buy twitter and essentially flush it down the toilet yeah well that's Uh, with equity funds they'll be fine (laughs) you're talking about economics i don't know that much either but one thing i do know is that if an equity fund owns your factory it's going to be run into the ground Mm -hmm. as long as they've made some sort of sizable profit from it they don't care what happens whether it's twitter or um you know the woods plant in our neighborhood like they don't care right so Mm -hmm. That's what it's about. And that's what it's about with, with Musk as well. He doesn't care who gets stomped on. He doesn't care if it's the, you know, I was going to say little guy, but, you know, maybe like other you know, people that are just, he just goes after, and that's, yeah, thin-skinned, insecure, a bunch mm-hmm. of other things too. Like, it, But what, what is this? Talk about the story. This is a bit of a sidebar. That mm-hmm. he doesn't own a house. He like couch surfs. Is, is any of this true? I'm like, I've seen it from more than one source. It's like, Okay, so you you own a house, but it's like a tiny house, and you so is that to save up more money so you can buy the Twitter? I don't like. I don't understand. I mean, that's 
who knows right i mean are you a great guy because this is what you do you like bother your friends what friends for one thing it's but like, it, i, I mean it's it's really part friends. of the problem with all of this right where it's 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 not just enough to be a good business person and it's i think it's it's somewhat debatable i mean certainly you could say tesla is a success um spacex is is a success i mean spacex is pretty much holding up the american space program right now but yeah um this is all part of the narrative. It's it's not enough to be a good business person. You have to, have to be like a weirdo. I mean, you look at uh, <laughs> look at what's her name from Theranos, Elizabeth. What's her face? Um, Elizabeth, Elizabeth Holmes. Yeah, yeah. You know, there was this whole mythology around her. Like she only sleeps four hours a night, and she has like thirty of the same outfit, so she doesn't have to think about what she's going to wear in the morning. It's like, shut up. Just like, are you good at business or are you not good at business? Well, that that like. I don't need bursting proved that she wasn't right. But. I mean, I don't, but I mean, that was part of the story. That was part of what sold her. That's what part of what like got myth. like, yeah. yeah. Kissinger and people to invest in her. Right. Oh. It's just, it's the story. And it's, it's, you know, I don't need you to be a character. I have books for that. I have movies for that. I have TV shows for that. Can we just have people who are interested in just being like good, decent moral business people in business and leave the characters to the comic books because i really think elon musk is at a point now where he's like he genuinely thinks he's like lex luther or something yeah. he's the real life lex luther and he doesn't <laughs> he, he doesn't care yeah and i would just as a little side note there if, if kissinger's involved run away <laughs> but I can't believe he's still alive. Uh, well, that's yeah, that's like number one. Right? It's like you hear the name. It's like is he? He is. Yeah. What is? Maybe he's got some secret serum from some I Elizabeth think, Holmes type keeping him propped up. Or I think at the end of the world, it is going to be a, a clash between John Dean and Henry Kissinger. I think that's yeah. when we'll hear the trumpet sound. Is like when they step out onto the. Maybe the we will get Henry Kissinger's <laughs> war crimes trial eventually, but that's a story for another day. That is a story for another day. Yeah. Um. We wanted to address uh, the Charter of Rights and Freedoms because it's the 40th anniversary of its signing. That happened in uh, April 9th, April 14th, 1982. And uh, so uh, Justin Trudeau and the Governor General put out nice uh, commemorations of that. Somewhat more interesting, though, was this piece on the conversation uh, that basically drew a line between the anniversary of the Charter and the fact that uh, we are in this situation or coming off this situation with the freedom convoy, where you have a ton of people quoting the charter without really seeming to understand what's in it. Hmm. Um, including, you know, people in courtrooms talking about how they weren't read their Miranda rights, which is not in the charter or how they didn't have their first amendment rights, which is not in the charter. Um, or, or, you know, seem to skip over the whole first paragraph of the charter where it talks about, um, you know, acting in, uh, you know, good governance and, you know, free in, in, you know, things about justifying rights are reasonable limits uh, for a free and democratic country. So uh, seem seem timely. <laughs> yeah. And the, I mean, the, the charter is readily available for anyone to read on. You can planet. get it for free. Yeah, you can get it for free. They'll even, I think they may even send you a little paper copy and we all, I, you may not have been old enough, Adam, maybe you were, but I, we all got a paper <laughs> copy of it and they trotted us all into the library and the TV came out and we watched this thing. I can't even, I can't remember if it was live or, or recorded. It doesn't matter when you're that age. It's just like what, um, yes, I'm that old people, but uh, yeah, I, I, probably- I for, for the record, I was not that old that cause this was signed the year before I went to school. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> how old right now? I didn't know how old you were, but yeah. So I was I think I was in grade eight, the classic. Yeah, the 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 teachers needed something to talk about. So let's talk about this thing that's happening. But yeah, um and I think the people that you mentioned there, the Freedom Convoy may have missed either school or high school or homeschooled or something because yeah, because when you're quoting uh American history, mm-hmm. not American history, but the US Constitution is where all of those things come from. It's mm-hmm. like you've got the wrong paperwork. Mm-hmm. Referring <laughs> to this charter that you hold and the great irony is it's usually coming from somebody who's got an F Trudeau flag or something in their hands. Like, you know, no Trudeau senior. Well, I mean, this probably would have happened in some form eventually, but this was his baby, right? This right. Is like, and, and Trudeau Jr.'s comments this week were like, you know, signed by my father, Pierre Trudeau. It's like, okay, everybody knows he's your dad. Right. But this is the thing. I don't, I don't think that any prime minister since, or maybe for a very long time, even from now, will have this kind of signature piece as they leave, right? This is the mm-hmm. legacy of Trudeau, right? Mm-hmm. And with that does come issues that surface from time to time. Like, of course, the, the uh, we seem to write, even though I say I never read it, the National Post talking about how the Constitution was the worst bargain in Canadian history. Like, mm. <laughs> is it really that bad? But then, of course, you read on a bit, and this person was talking about the provincial point of view. It's like they gave up too much. They gave up the rights. And Quebec didn't even sign. So it's not it's not a perfect document. But if I understand it correctly, a lot of countries trying to come up with a way to go constitutionally, in particular, I think South Africa was mentioned, mm-hmm. that they refer to this. Mm-hmm. as a bit of a template. I said, well, where can we go with this? That's not to say that it is perfect because there's lots of things in it that aren't um, addressed and there are issues that come up. I'm thinking specifically about the, uh, a, a good fail example right now is the the public servants and the hijab banning in, right. in right? And I, I, if I understand it right, that's that there's a challenge on this year. Like that is going to go to the Supreme Court. And again, another one of the criticisms of, of, the, of the charter is that, well, the old un- unelected judges line. It's like, well, you know, these the Supreme Court get to decide these things, and that's not fair. It's like, this is the system that we have come up with. It's not actually that bad. There's always room for improvement, but until '82, it was still kind of, you know, you're still technically answering to the UK, not directly because of the statute of West- Westminster. Yeah, if people also learn about it in high school or a basic history class. Body, the, the powers were devolved then to the to the dominions, as we were called, to the yeah. Commonwealth, and then you know the Trudeau government of 1982 did the solid with this, saying, "Okay, we have brought all of this home," and the Queen signed off on it. So there you go. Brought the Queen over here to sign off on it. Yes, uh, but I mean, you know, what's the alternative to? This is the thing: it's like activist judges and all this. Like, well, who do you who should decide what's like in the charter? or not or or what is of the charter and what is not of the charter like who should be deciding it like tamara leach who's you know was upset, <laughs> who, who was upset her first amendment rights weren't observed or something and you know the, the Still thing, in jail because yeah. <laughs> of rights yeah right and you know in, in so much as you know rex murphy who's the columnist for the national post was talking about like yeah we're having a 40th anniversary i'm not sure why i'm doing a penguin voice for rex murphy but it it seems to fit um i'm not sure why we're doing the 40th anniversary when it's like we're coming off two years of the worst violations of the charter it's like well dude 
sorry, Rex, but like judges across the country have vehemently disagreed with you that any of this is a violation of the charter. It seems to, um, you know, the, the, the definition of reasonable limits uh, for a lot of these COVID precautions seem to hung up. And, and it's not like, it, that's not to say that there hasn't been stuff that's gone too far. I mean, remember last year when uh, Doug Ford had the brilliant idea of having the police ticket people using the park as like a, a COVID prevention measure. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, for the most part, to my knowledge, there aren't a lot of COVID restrictions left in Canada. And we seem to be OK. I mean, not speaking, speaking as a recent COVID survivor myself, um, yeah. we seem to be OK, um, at least in terms of rights wise speaking. Although one of the things um, and it was in the Toronto Star of all cockamamie places I, I, that I thought made a good point is you can't go and see like the original signed charter document anywhere like they don't have it like you can go to the national archives in the states and see the declaration of independence and the original copy of the constitution you can't do that for um the canadian constitution or the bna act or the charter of rights and freedoms and i thought you know it's 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 a small thing granted but to be able to go somewhere and see the thing in person the signed thing that was handled by pet and the queen and, and everybody um, I think that matters. It's like, yeah, it's nice that we can, you know, send your name and address to um, the government of Canada and they'll send you a nice poster sized version of the charter. That's a nice, that's a nice thing that the government does. But I, I really think there, there is value in putting this thing out, putting the original thing out and saying like, Hey, see, here it is. And it, it, you know, if it, it makes it sort of like a, I think of a more real thing because like I've been to protests where um, anti-mask protests where somebody gets up and starts reading from the charter. (laughs) But um, I I do wonder if, because you can't like go somewhere and see it, if this, if it's, if it might feel more tangible, if it was a real thing at a real place, you can go see as opposed to just being a thing you can call up on your phone because you have a point to make. Oh, the Freedom Convoy can read? No, sorry. That was a really terrible show. Ooh, uh, ooh. Yeah, they can read, but can they interpret, right? But that's, right. yeah. Um, just going back to what you said there about reasonable limits, I think that is the key because the convoy, I don't know how this all ended up about the convoy, but it's significant. <laughs> they don't understand reasonable limits, right? Right, right. And everything you said there is very Canadian. The fact that we don't necessarily boast about this document, but also, I mean, even when you think about the convoy protest, and mm-hmm. compare it to protests in other nations. Mm-hmm. What was the biggest beef? The, the streets were blocked and they were making a hell of a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. So breaking that down, what is the reasonable limit to the amount of noise that you can make, right? And it, thankfully, we should be thankful that it is, it is literally just noise, just a bunch of hawking, hawking, <laughs> honking, like Canadian geese. There's just honking. Mm-hmm. Significantly, the, I, I did a little bit of a dig on this. In terms of legal opinion, the number one charter decision wasn't necessarily Morgan Taller or the, you know, the reasonable limits and search and seizure and all the things, retirement age, and all the things that have come out of the charter since 1982. The number one thing that legal people point to was a case called R.V. Oaks, mm. which people don't necessarily know about, but it's significant in that it speaks completely to... Uh, reasonable limits, but also the individual rights versus society. It's like, it was to do with narcotics possession, right? Mm -hmm. How much 
cops would go to people and they would possess you have a couple of joints on you it's like oh you're go- you're a dealer you're going down you're a trafficker right this case overturned that right mm-hmm. so it's, you you're not possession of small amounts was was erased and that that has effects beyond you know it's like so what what is reasonable reasonable is the key word you'd hope that this is a reasonable document and a reasonable approach to all the things that we need to tackle as a society right and again Mm -hmm. as i've said not perfect there's room for improvement and there's lots of there are lots of groups that will say you know speaking to say the hijab example i used earlier or the fact that federal cops beat on indigenous people all of the time to enforce government rules it happens over and over again, as we've seen. Is that is something like that not rooted in the charter? Like where, you know, what is, uh, what what is the future for that? Right. So that's mm. it, it is. It should be a fluid thing, right? Mm-hmm. But uh, well, as you see, you know, the, the people talking about they're taking the Fifth Amendment for <laughs> the Freedom Convoy. It's like that's the amended Constitution of the United States, right? Whereas. Yeah, you know, charter challenges are handled a bit differently. It's like if a law is struck down, then they have to re-examine it, and there's a back and forth. It's a little bit different. It's, but again, the wheels, Canada, the U.S. are slow, but yet if you have mechanisms in place that can move things forward, then you know, hopefully, that is what happens, right? Yes, and unfortunately, the wheels sometimes move a little too fast here on open sources, so we have to call it a day. Thankfully, they don't fall off too much. But (laughs) (laughs) says before the show's over, yikes! Yeah, way to way to tank it. Anyway, uh, we hope you enjoyed the show. If you want to stay connected to us, you can find us at our website, opensourcesguelph.com, or on Facebook at Open Sources Newswire, and we're on Twitter at OS underscore Guelph. If you'd like to listen to the show again, you can download it from our website every Monday at the Guelph Politicast channel on Podbean or through your favorite podcast app at Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn, and Spotify. You can find me personally on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson, and you can check out my news and politics site at guelphpolitico.ca. And I'm Scotty Hertz on Facebook, Scotty Hertz on Twitter. And for all things CFRU, particularly when the shows are on, check out CFRU.ca slash shows. And there will be another show on next here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We will be back next Thursday at 5 p.m. for another Open Sources. And we will see you then.